0: Hey everybody! Thanks for listening to Raw Knuckles podcast. Please like, follow, and subscribe.
1: I thought for sure you were going to say Mike Keenan. <laughs> as as <laughs>
2: I, I had him too. I had him in
1: Russia, and he was. <laughs>
2: so. Oh my gosh! That man wore me oh out. Yeah. He wore us all he out. Was crazy! Oh my gosh! It's funny. T- I mean, coming down to. Coming down to the rink when we were going through like a two, three or more game losing streak, you know, coming down to the rink, you're just holding your head in your hands going, what's, what's he going to do to us today? Like, what's he going to pull today? You know?
0: When I stepped on the ice, I never backed down and I never stayed down. And I was vicious and I was malicious and I don't care. <laughs> Mad man. Look at him going to down. Yeah, say him. hi to Tim. Yeah, I don't know if you ever met Tim. Tim Stapleton played uh, in the NHL Toronto. Um, uh, What was that other team, Tim, you played for? Uh, oh, w- Winnipeg. That's right. <laughs> Winnipeg. And then he played over in Russia, Tom. But a good yeah. friend of mine. I love him. He's a yeah, good we're man. We're great we'll friends, fun. apparently. <laughs> right <laughs> on. <laughs> right on.
2: Oh, all right. Great, great friends. It's just that Knuckles is missing important, significant parts of your background, your life. Well, that's
0: because I got picked on uh, as a player. I got bullied, and you're one of the guys that bullied me. And Stu Grimson, listen, welcome to the Raw Knuckles Podcast. I appreciate you taking the time, pal. I've been looking forward to having you on and uh, for a number of different reasons. And and certainly one of them is uh, we got to spend some time together in retirement. But I want to go back to October 27, 1990. You as a young kid with the Chicago Blackhawks coming in, you're listed at 6'6", 240. I'm like, oh, shit. I'm 34 years old. And I'm 33. I'm near the end of my career. And I'm going, oh, I know what's going to happen. And I fought you that night. And then the next yeah. night, Big Jim McKenzie. And it was the first time really in my career I started to you know, that little voice in the back of your head saying, man, this is getting tough. I was questioning myself. Yeah. But I go back yeah. to that night and I remember like, and geez, I was always a guy when I fought big guys, I had to get in tight because I would have never lasted as long as I did. But we go back to that. What was that like? Because you were young in the league then. Were you, did you have that? I You was. had that mentality. I got to, I got to go after guys like this because I had it when I came in.
2: Yeah, no question about it. I think, you know, in that role, and maybe this is similar for players and, you know, it, that that play a different role, but everybody's got to cut their own teeth. You know, you got to cut your own, find your own way into the mix. And for me, I, you know, I knew that if I was going to make a name for myself in this, you know, bracket this category of player, the heavyweight enforcer type, I was going to have to, you know, take on the Chris Nylons, the Proverts, the Dave Browns, the Marty McSorleys of the world. And, you know, I, I sure had you on my radar that night. I don't remember the circumstances of the game. I feel like it was kind of, the it felt like it was third period Nux and the game had kind of been decided. Yeah. So I, you know, I don't know. I think I went out of my way to to kind of get into it with you, you know, later on in the game. So uh, I remember being a good tilt. And listen, I mean, I, you know, the point you're making is one that I, you know, I, I I applaud the guys all the time that fought the heavyweights but didn't necessarily have heavyweight dimensions. <laughs> I mean, you know, guys like – in your era, it was guys like you. Before your era, it was guys like Stan Jonathan. In my era, it was guys like Kelly Chase yeah. um, and Ryan Vandenbush. I mean, these guys are like six foot, six foot one. They're, you know, maybe just nibbling into the 200s, 210, 215, and they're fighting guys my size, 6'5", 6'6", 240, 250 pounds, and they're holding their own. I mean, the heavyweight guys, like we did what we did, and anybody could beat anybody on any given night. I thought the guys that had your dimensions, that had to fight the heavyweights, that took it upon themselves to fight the heavyweights, I mean, I had so much respect for you guys. Nox, and it's not just because I'm on your <laughs> podcast blowing smoke your way. I, I've said this. I have said this many, many times about players like you. To me, that takes on a whole different dimension. Was it harder to fight yeah, those well, guys,
1: yeah. or would you prefer someone yeah. more your size fighting
2: you know it's a good question tim i really did kind of prefer to fight guys my own size you know because there it was and this has been said many times before you know you put that question to me but you know if i'm fighting somebody knuckle size i'm supposed to win so if he holds his own against me or if he beats me god forbid (laughs) um (laughs) you know it's it's a it's a big win for you and it's you know it's kind of a, a a knock on my reputation so yeah i i I'd much rather lock horns with guys my size. That might be a little kind of illogical, uh, but but that was that was certainly my preference. Yeah, and yeah.
0: I, I hear that because I prefer the bigger guys. Because for me, um, I was a better, I became a better technical fighter as I went along. You know, when you got a guy you're fighting that size, you have to take away his strength. That's how I fought. I said I got to yeah. take away his best thing, the best thing he has and then I'll pick my way through the fight. So I certainly get that, but I love fighting the big guys. Yeah. Tim had asked me that I prefer. I prefer we'll you, guys I you guys fighting. I prefer you guys <laughs>
2: fighting. <laughs> of yeah, course. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I and I certainly preferred to be a 30, 40 goal <laughs> scorer, but that just wasn't in the DNA. It wasn't in the DNA. Well,
0: that's the first time we met. Next time we met was in retirement, and I had followed Stu's career uh, for sure. Um, and, and kept an eye, like I always do on guys. But um, I was in Toronto. Uh, I think they were honoring Bobby Howe at a alumni event. And um, Stu was there, and I had never met him. And, you know, people have this, you know, idea that, that stigma of hockey fighters, all right, uh, big dummies, this and that. They're not intelligent, this and that. Stu – got up and um he spoke at this event and I'm gonna tell you Tim I was blown away and I'll never forget and it, I guess maybe I had a, was thinking of that stigma myself oh big dummy hockey player yeah. you know blah 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 and Stu walked by and I got out of my chair and I grabbed him I said Stu Chris I'm, hey how you doing knuckles we talked I said you know what you just impressed the shit out of me. You, what you just said there blew me away, that was awesome. And you know, we had a few words and that was it. And I think certainly in our careers, I don't know if you ever felt that, that stigma of being that, all right, you're a big, dumb hockey player. Mm-hmm. Did, did people kind of look at you that way? Did you, cause I know they did me and there were times I would get in conversation, yeah. people would say, you know what? <laughs> Yeah, he can carry a conversation. He is smart. He's not a big dummy.
2: Yeah. Did, did you deal with that at all? Right. You know, I, I did. I did a lot. And, and I never get too kind of jacked up about it when I when I encounter that, you know, that attitude. or It's not even an attitude. It's just a, people are a little bit surprised because they see the way you play. They see the kind of game you play. They project a certain set of characteristics on you when you're on the ice. Especially when you you know you've shaken your gloves off, you've locked horns with another guy your size, and then you spend uh, you know five minutes in isolation on the other side of the ice. People kind of get this notion in their head that you're you know you're just mean, you're nasty, you're 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 you maybe something uh, you know you just you're not the sharpest knife in the drawer, and I, I, I think they're very surprised when they get a chance to meet guys like you and I Nux. But here's the thing. And I heard you say this in, in, in your lead up to, to asking me that question. I do that myself all the time. And this is why I tend not to get too jacked up about it when people have that perception of me. Because, I mean, I've met guys like Wendell Clark and Brad May and Chris Nyland away from the rink. And these are some of the most engaging, some of the friendliest, uh, most caring people you'd ever want to be around. And, and, and that surprises even me, who's another example of, of that whole deal. So I think it's kind of, you know, we're, we're kind of wired to think that way. We've got these notions in our head that, um, you know, all the guys that play that role are, are, are you know, knuckle-dragging mouth breathers. And, um, you know, we, we just we're, – we're on our back foot when we meet them. So I, I get where it comes from, but um, guys like you, Knox mm-hmm. – you know, breaking the mold, my yeah, friend, breaking well, the mold. Thank you.
0: Appreciate <laughs> it. You broke it already. But, uh, you, you know, uh, looking, you're born in Vancouver, um, and uh, looking at your junior career, play for the Pats. And yep. and when I looked at it, then I saw you play college. Now, a lot of kids, they make up their mind before they go off. Uh, are we going to college or are we going to play junior? You did both, and yeah. how did that how how'd that come about? You end up playing junior, then you go off to college. What happened there?
2: Yeah, you know, it's a great question. I appreciate you picked up on that. I, I took kind of the the unconventional path to the NHL. Without question, I didn't do it by design. I did it out of kind of. I'm just you know, stumbling around trying to find my way in life at this point. And maybe you went through this, Nux, maybe you didn't. I know lots of guys did. But when you play that um, physical role, and especially when you're not getting a lot of ice time, it can be a really hard role to play. So I played three years a junior. I went off to my first pro training camp with the Calgary Flames. That's who drafted me. I was breaking in with Calgary. And I got to camp, and I was just like, you know what? I I don't know if this is for me. I don't see myself kind of – you know, because I went this route in junior, you know how it is, yeah. you cut your teeth, you work your way up the totem pole, and by by your third year, you know, you, you're, you're somebody with a, a solid reputation. You kind of pick and choose your yeah. fights to some degree. I, I, you know, standing at the doorstep of uh, my pro career, it was just like, man, I don't know if I can do this all over again. So the short, you know, the short point about that is, I walked out of a pro training camp. I went back to college. I want to get a start on my education. I wasn't sure if pro was for me and it was the two years there I spent playing for the university of Manitoba in Winnipeg that, um, that that I kind of came to the conclusion, you know what? I, I, I think I've matured. I think I, you know, I I think I've grown up a little bit. I think I'm a better player and I think it's time to go back and see if I can kind of, if I can make it to the NHL, I've got to satisfy my curiosity. I've come this far. I've got to take a run at it. So the the two years of college hockey that I played, just to kind of put a bow on all that, is it was just a, a moment for me to kind of go focus on the game, have some fun, grow, mature, become a better player, and then come back and take an honest run at a pro career career. Um, and and see how far I could take it but that that was necessary for me it's not necessary for everybody and honestly I will say if I hadn't done that I think I might have shortened my career at the end of the day because I think I would have got into a situation where I was I felt like I might have been over my head I may have you know played three or four years in the minors and then backed out of it at the end of the day when I when I went back I knew that I was ready to do it and for that reason next I play well into my thirties and there aren't a lot of guys that do what we do that play well into their thirties. So I'm I'm glad looking back so, I did it so, that way. Sorry. It was yeah. a really long answer no, but that's to, cool. to your very <laughs> that's great. But, that's great. but So
0: <laughs> what, that decision to turn pro had nothing to do with wanting to get out of Winnipeg.
2: <laughs> yeah, that yeah. Now that's a dig at, that's a dig yeah, at, 10 I was like, that's a dig we'll at Penn Stapleton. I, I know what that is. Uh, I know what that is. <laughs> um, <laughs> I know what that is. Um, and and all respect to Tim Stapleton. Yeah, it was a great it was a great way to get out of Winnipeg. Hundred percent. Now, did you have it? Was it? Were you? Because no. I went. I went from there to Salt Lake City, Utah. Salt Lake City, yep. Utah. a pretty nice. It time. is. Yeah, we're playing golf. We're playing golf in December in Salt Lake City, Utah. Was there? Uh, was there? Was Sorry, there a Tim, little bit ahead, of fear?
1: To, was there fear that at that point of going back to college? Did you have to overcome some fear? And if, if so, what? How did you do that?
2: Yeah, I, I think it was, you know, I, it was fear that kind of drove me to that place. You know, it was fear. And, you know, again, it's, it's a hard role to play when you're not playing a lot. Um, you know, I, I think average ice time, if you look at it over the course of our career, I don't think they tracked it when Knox played. Knox played a lot more than me. And when you're out there and you're fighting, you're usually getting into it because, you know, it's uh, some, 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 something happens on the ice. There's a flashpoint and bang, you're angry, you're pissed off, you're fighting somebody. I used to sit there for a period, a period and a half at a time. You get a tap on the shoulder and you know exactly why you, what you're supposed to be doing. That's a hard thing to do. So it was, it was, that was part of the struggle, Tim. And I think there was the fear of of losing too. Like that was something that was really important for me to get over. Like if you, if you, if you circulate in that heavyweight crowd, and I said this before earlier in the podcast, you know, Anybody can beat anybody on any given night. You're going to take your lumps at some point. You've got to find a way to get over the fear of just getting beat, getting humiliated. you got to dust yourself and get right back into the mix, or you're going to find yourself, you know, it's been a pretty short career for you. So that was all part of the, the maturing process for me. It's a good question. Yeah, Tim.
0: for sure. That fear, uh, you know, it's such a, can be a motivator, right? It can also freeze a lot of people, and you've got to be able to walk through them. Right. Uh, possibly. There's yeah. so much here to talk about I, when I think of uh, you and and some of the things that we, directions I want to go. And in one, um, I played with a Christian athlete, Ryan Walter, who I absolutely love to this day. You know, I got my knee replaced. Who called me? Former teammate? Wally. How you doing, Chris? Wally. And uh, absolutely love the man. Now, I grew up Catholic, going to church, forced to go to church every Sunday. Um, I drifted. Um, from my uh, religion. Um, And then I I certainly came back in a way later in life uh, to live a more spiritual life and and not just go to church on Sunday and say, I'm a good boy. Uh, I started to practice some of the principles and values that uh, I did learn growing up, but I got away from. Now for you, I'm curious, uh, did you always have this faith as a kid or did you come into this as you got older?
2: Um, I, I, like you, grew up in a home. We were Lutheran, pretty similar to Catholic. Catholic, And I think if you go back way back in the Lutheran history, they were kind of an offshoot or a breakaway uh, denomination from the Catholic faith. So I grew up in a Lutheran home. My mom was Lutheran growing up. And we were churched as kids. We went, um, it became less and less important. You know, as we got older as children, the answer to your question, Nux, is I, I, my faith. I kind of maybe revisited my faith at a later stage in my life, probably in my early twenties. And when I was presented with a message, you know, you talked about Ryan Walter. He would have been one of the guys that you know, kind of, you know, was in my my network in and around that time. But I just I kind of came to 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 understand that your faith can be, should be, just a personal relationship between you and your creator, uh, uh, God, rather than a whole list of, you know, rules and regulations and places to go. It had more to do with that personal faith, that personal relationship, and that hit me at a pretty relevant time in my early 20s. So, you know, my faith journey really started to take Uh, greater meaning for me started to make a lot more sense for me and and I will say helped really guide me through that period of time that we just finished talking about where you know I'm kind of wrestling with you know can I play this role in a you know in in the NHL can do I have what it takes to turn pro Uh, my faith was something that I was able to lean on and it really kind of helped get me through that moment in time. All
0: right. I get get that. But the Christian faith, you that having that strong faith and finding your way in the NHL and with your faith at the same time, did you ever like struggle with your role as an enforcer doing what you had to do on the ice saying, you know, people look at it on the outside and say, Oh, that's really Christian. Like going around beating people up, you know what I mean? So, yeah. Did you struggle with it? Yeah,
2: that? no, it's I you know, I, I won't say that I ever struggled with it. I got that question a lot and I understood where that question comes from. It all it came down to this for me, Nux. Um I I used to say, like, in the context of this locker room, like if somebody and, and, and you and I played in a different area, different era of the game than it is today, back then that role was vital. And I used to say if somebody needs to play the role of uh, protector and a enforcer, and he needs to watch the backs of you know the smaller people, the the, the skilled people, the Steve Eiserman, the Paul Kariya's Stapleton this roster, <laughs> yeah. the Tim Stapleton's off this roster. I never <laughs> had to stop in Winnipeg in the NHL, uh, but but I I said if if somebody needs to play that role, why can't it be why can't it be a, a Christian? Why can't it be a guy? that you know that that has a strong faith and and he's essentially you know i'm not a third i'm not filling a 30 40 goal scorers role but i'm filling a vital role that's kind of less glamorous really hard to play but one that your teammates really respect and admire so the funny part about it is nux like all all my teammates knew my faith but they also knew what i did on the ice they never struggled with that because they valued the role that I played, and I guess it was the way that I did it that they never saw that there was a conflict between what I believe as a you know as a as a Christian and and what I did on the ice. So that all seemed to make sense for me, and, and I think that one other important point here: it's not like I'm walking around on the streets of Nashville yeah. behaving that way. It all took place in the context of you know an NHL game, NHL competition where that kind of thing is, I mean, it's, it's accepted as, as accepted as, as boxing for, for example. So, you know, that, that kind of made that to me was, you know, an important part of the, you know, the justification at the same time. If that makes sense. You
1: ever, have you ever thought about what the road would have looked like if you didn't have your faith, like in, in for example, um, you know, I know with that role, a lot of guys, you know, have dealt with, you know, struggles of addiction or, or, you know, whatever alcoholism addiction and just trying to cope with with you know if you do you ever did you have experience in that or did you ever think like what if you didn't have your faith what that would have looked like
2: yeah I I do I I thought about that a lot I I think my faith helped kind of sustain me carry me through some really tough times uh like that transitional that 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 trying to get it straight in my head can I play this role what's the mindset in, in how I play this role. And I will tell you this, um, you know, I, a breakthrough moment for me, and it might seem kind of strange to, to, to think of it this way. Um, when I was first cutting my teeth in the NHL, like the path to the NHL led right through Dave Brown. I was breaking mm. in with the Calgary Flames. Uh, he was playing for Edmonton at the time. That's one of the fiercest rivalries in the game at that time. And even today, I knew if I was going to stick around, I had to beat Brownie i'll try and give you the short version of this fought him on a sunday night beat him laid out the heavyweight champion of the nhl he was probably the meanest baddest mother in the game at that point fair to say Nux? real fair to say so i laid him out i i laid him out and then i fought him two nights later back in calgary he wrecked me absolutely wrecked me fractured my orbital in three places broke my cheekbone I had facial reconstructive surgery. Tim, it's as bad a beat as you can ever suffer as as a as a fighter. But at that moment, I kind of came to this realization. And remember, go back to the point I was making earlier. I dealt with the fear of losing, not so much the fear of being hurt. I could take pain. That's pain's not difficult to deal with. The humiliation of losing in front of your teammates, your coach, 20,000 fans, that's what I feared. So the beat to brownie, I'm kind of going. You know what? This is the worst I can ever suffer. This is the worst beat I could ever suffer. But if I can bounce back from this, I've got nothing left to fear. So rather than being the moment where I kind of packed up shop and my NHL career is over, I, I had a I had a moment. I, it was a breakthrough. It was kind of a, a a a moment of liberty and freedom. And 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 the, the whole point in saying that, Tim, is. I think it was leaning on my faith. When you can kind of just like dump all your crap at the foot of the cross, at God's feet and say, you know what, I can't control this, I'm going to show up, I'm going to do my level best, but a lot of this is out of my control, it's in your hands, God, my creator, there's a lot of freedom in that. So. Again, another long answer, but that's kind of where my faith was central to me uh, early on in my career. So it's, it's a great question. Yeah, and that's
0: an awesome answer. It's one that I guess you wouldn't normally hear the way you looked at that. And, you know, along with your faith and your backbone as a person, um, to be able to get back upright and do that again, man not easy. A lot of guys that breaks, a lot of guys, mm-hmm. you know, when you break your orbital yeah. bone, when your face is messed up like that, or you, you have a severe injury, something that you end up questioning yourself. Uh, am I going to do this again? And 100%. a lot of guys deal with it. And so it's refreshing yeah. to hear that answer. No question about it. And, um, you know, we've, uh, we've had our interactions and I want to, I want to uh, get to one of them, but, um, a little more on the hockey when um, your career uh, dealing with coaches. Now, I, I love to talk about tough guys. Because I was very fortunate here in Montreal. Played with Carboneau and Ganey. um They wanted me to be more than just a fighter. They wanted me to be an everyday guy. And I got a shit ton of help to achieve that goal. I was a willing participant, yeah. and I worked my ass off, but Boy, I had great direction and a lot of help. Did you ever struggle with the, you know, tapping the shoulder? Because I always said to myself, Mm -hmm. if I ever have a coach that tells me, go and fight, there's going to be a problem. And it happened to me one time I ended up getting traded because of the problem. But I I stayed true to myself in that. But I I would struggle with that. And near the end, I remember Bob Gainey telling me, Knox, near the end of your career, you're going to be struggling with ice time at times. If you're able to deal with that sitting on the bench playing here and there limited time, you can squeak another year or two out of your career and make some money. But if you can't, you're going to mm-hmm. have a hard time with it. But that, that, I guess the question mm-hmm. for me, the, the, the coach player relationship in that role, did it cause any problems with you?
2: Yeah, it's a great question. And I know a lot of guys, you know, have, have had to deal with this in different ways. I, I kind of adopted, I honestly, Nux, I, I suppose it came from, I never ever wanted anybody to kind of a coach specifically to, to cast, to put me in a light, to put me in a situation where, you know, they had to tell me like outright, I need you to do this. I need you to do this in this way. And, um, cause I, I thought that was, it was disrespectful to the, to the way to to the guys that played that role, right? I mean, you don't tell a goal scorer to go out and score a goal the, where it's assumed they're gonna try to do that every night. That's their whole objective. That's part of what you and I used to do. So I guess for those reasons, I just never that never sat well with me. And I think the pointed answer to your question is because I never wanted a coach to put me in that situation. I was hypersensitive, and I think almost to a fault hypersensitive to situations on the ice. Yeah. You know what it's like. I've heard Marty McSorley say this: You're the, a guy that has the enforcer mindset, the protector, policeman mindset. You're always evaluating what's going on in the ice. How's my team playing? Are we flat? Are we on it? Um, what's the score look like? Is there a moment where I need to do what it is I'm expected to do? So the point I'm making is, I, I would I would do that before the coach even before it even crossed the coach's mind that we could really use a scrape right now. I'd go out and do it before he ever had the chance to say it to me. Now, I did play for a guy or two along the way that would kind of, you know, poke me in the ribs and, hey, we could really use this tonight, Stu. You know, that's hard. He he brought me aside rather than in the context of a game, you know, hey, tap, tap, and everybody in the building knows you're out there for that reason. So for the most part, you know, I, I didn't deal with that a lot but because it was, I was, I was like preemptive. I was like, I was, a, I tried to be ahead of it. You Got know what you. I mean? That was like, great.
1: I like that. Cause as a, I don't think people understand, especially not in hockey that, you know, that's what makes you guys the best is that a majority of the time of what you're doing wasn't about you, right? Like you weren't going mm-hmm. out there to be like, Hey, this is about, like you were doing it for a reason, you know? And, and so that was good. I, I appreciate that answer.
0: Um. So, so that that piece there with the, with the coaching thing, and uh, just to touch on a bit from my end, you know, I was fortunate. I had a coach in Jacques Lemaire who told me, "Listen, you fight too much. Slow down. Use your." and right. It's almost like I didn't trust him. I'm like, well, you know, I'm gonna yeah. slow down fighting. I'm gonna be out the door. Get out of here. And then he yeah. would, yeah. at home, he would take me out of situations. Like I'd be on the ice, and they throw someone out. All of a sudden, he'd be pulling me off the ice, and I'm going shaking my head. You know, I, I don't want to be. You know, I, I'm thinking that he's pulling me off. I'm looking like a wimp, you know. But he <laughs> he genuinely cared for me and understood that I knew my role, and he didn't have to tell right. me. So that that's so cool. Um, so uh, the Blackhawks, uh, the Ducks, the Wings, um, the Kings, the Preds. When you look at the teams you played for, what, what was your, uh, I guess, your best years in hockey, the most fun you had, yeah. um, you know, favorite teammates, stuff like that.
2: You know, that's a, that's always a hard question for me to answer because you're anybody's objective, no matter what role you play, it's to have great team success. So, you know, going to the finals um, twice <sighs> with the, uh, with Chicago in 82 and then the Blackhawks, sorry, sorry, Detroit in 95. Um, those, those are my two trips to the Stanley cup finals. I, I would highlight those as some of the most a pair of the most memorable years I ever had. But, you know, for guys like me, I think you kind of have, to, it's also interesting to look at like, where was the best fit? Like, where did you kind of, where did a coach really, and, and, and the roster kind of fit you best that you were able to kind of play a lot, contribute in other ways. And for me, I I will say LA, But one year I spent in LA, we had a really good team, um, a a great group of guys. Rob Blake was there. Luke Robitaille was there. Um, You know, it it, it was, uh, it was just a really, really uh, solid group. And um, our coach, Andy Murray, you, you know, used me in a, in a, fairly regular rotation and and really leaned on me for leadership similar experience when I was in Hartford and then Hartford moved to Carolina so I was part of that organization for for two years but played under Paul Maurice there and um, Paul Maurice today remains probably you know no disrespect to anybody else I played for but um, he was a guy that worked with me that communicated with me directly that that gave me a lot of responsibility as a leader And, and playing under Paul for for those two years, Hartford then Carolina, um, that that was that was a really good fit for me. Looking back, I actually asked for a trade to get out of Carolina. Um, you know, looking back, I, I don't know if that was the right thing to do because it was such a good fit for me back then. But you know, those are just a few kind of thoughts I have around my best my you know my best memories as a team. I thought for Knuck.
1: sure you were going to say Mike Keenan. <laughs> as as
2: <laughs> I, I had us too. I had him in
1: Russia. and he was
2: (laughs) oh my gosh that man wore me out he wore us all out he was crazy oh my gosh it's funny I mean coming down to coming down to the rink when we were going through like a two three or more game losing streak you know coming down to the rink you're just holding your head in your hands going what's what's he gonna do to us today like what's (laughs) he gonna pull today you know it's funny
0: Tim said going over to Russia you know he's over there you know not many English speaking Guys, and he figures Mike Keen, the coach, you know, we'll probably get along. Right, Tim. Yeah, didn't. and then he right.
1: was—he was full on
0: yeah. '90s Iron Mike. And picture him doing what he's doing, and like no
1: oh, one understands God. what he's saying, like but me. I was like the only guy. Yeah, exactly,
2: class. exactly. Yeah, oh, yeah. Like, that's that's a really good point. Imagine Mike's antics, but you don't speak the yeah. language that Mike. Everyone's speaks. just that, like, I mean, "Hey, Tim, what you saying?" <laughs> I'm like, "He's saying, he's
1: saying, keep going. He's saying, he's saying a lot of positive things, guys. Don't worry.
0: You know? <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh man. If you love your pet, like I. I love my St. Bernard Adele, you'll want to feed them a balanced, biologically appropriate raw diet. The reason I've chosen Formula Raw is because all blends of their food are locally sourced and they consist of exclusively human-grade meat and organs, as well as fruits and vegetables. And all products used are hormone and antibiotic-free. So like I said, if you love your pet like I love Adele, you choose Formula Raw. Make sure you go to formularaw.com and use the promo code RAWNUX at checkout to receive 10% off your first order. That's RAWNUX, R A W K N U X. God, uh, looking at uh, the time, like I said, we spent together. So, your career, um, when we look at. Um, you know, you had those fights with Brownie, some big boats, and he was huge. We had Brownie on last week; he's awesome. Certainly, love the guy,
2: and um, he's a big so, puppy. Oh. I love him. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I consider it one of the real joys of my af, my post athletic career is having relate- Like it's it's so funny, right? We lock horns, like we fight each other on the ice. But honestly, fast forward ten years later, and all those same guys. Oh. You know, it's like instant rapport, right? I I was with Brownie like three weeks ago in Philly. They had this crazy Friday night night fight. Fight night? uh, I went to it. It I went to it. The
0: the first one they had, I I went to it. That's
2: hilarious, right? Mm -hmm and i'm hanging i'm having dinner with brownie oh. hanging out talking about old times talking about his team and i gotta tell you it's like some of the most enjoyable moments of my life are hanging out with guys i used to you know they used to we used to break each other's you know uh faces with our bare yeah. hands you know it's great
0: yeah it's so awesome but um you know and we talk about those times getting together and and uh, we had the opportunity to get together went to afghanistan which was a, for me, I remember the first time I went, it was um, a really moving trip. We went to visit the troop stimp and, and everybody I've talked to has gone there. It, it, when they come back, they've had, have, have, have had this experience that you just can't get anywhere else unless you join the services. And then it's, right. then it's like for real, you're not going there on a, on right, an exciting right. vacation, but we got the opportunity to go. And I remember sitting on a pallet in the back of a C-140 with Stu. And we talk, we're talking about all sorts of things and, uh, you know, just got to know each other a little more. And then when we uh, got to Afghanistan, met some of the troops, did some of the things, we got invited by General Hillier to fly out to a uh, forward operating ba- base called Frontenac. was at the foot of a dam in a big, huge lake in the middle of Afghanistan. And we went out and uh, General Hillier said, hey, you guys want to shoot at the Taliban today? And we were like, yeah, sure, (laughs) sure. Um, We get, we jump in the Jeep and we drive up the back of the camp. And there's Tim, there's two howitzes there (laughs) with two groups of soldiers at each one, like five guys. So go ahead, boys. We get up there. Stu. Take it from there, because I know you're going to give it to me. <laughs>
2: yeah, well, let me. There's there's a couple there's a couple points I want to make in all this. Um, let me leave the longer points for second. The first point I want to make is my lasting memory of shooting the howitzers with Knuckles is his. Um, his trousers were soaked kind of from the crotch right down to the knees. after he shoots the howitzer. Um, somehow, some way, he was standing the whole time, but he lost control of his faculty because this gun is so bloody awesome. And you could watch the shell go for like, you know, miles before it penetrated the the top, the, mountaintop, the top of the hill uh, opposite us. But the concussion from this thing would just like rock your world. Um, but I remember we had a whole lot of fun because it's actually, it's, there's a bit of a catch to it, like being able to fire a howitzer successfully, at least back then. Um, there's a bit of a catch to it. So it took Nux and I a little bit to kind of master that. But I mean, honestly, like just pull back and talk about the whole experience. That was easily, it, 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 and I tell people this all the time, it was probably the most amazing experience of my entire mm. life. We went into a theater of war on military aircraft escorted by the military, the Canadian Armed Forces, and my God, Nux, you and I are hanging out inside the International Coalition base. Um, we're, you know, we're meeting all the, the fine men and women who were there defending our freedoms uh, on a daily basis. I mean, we're watching, you know, tiny little females, five foot two, are walking around the camp. They've got an AK-47 you know, slung over their shoulders, and it's like, that's the baddest human being I know right now. She's like half my size. And and I tell you, that that moment where we went out to the forward operating base, I mean, we are literally, we're a few hundred feet above the deck. They've got the, the sides of the copter open. Nux is hanging out one side. I'm hanging out the other side. We got a pair of like gunners on either side of us protecting our ass as we're flying a few hundred feet off the deck over top of this terrain, this area. I mean, it looks like these people are living in biblical times. They're like little little folks walking around, you know, paths to God knows where they're going. They've got a donkey in tow. And it's like, dude, what, like, where are you going? (laughs) What are you doing? Like, what is, this? it just seemed like thousands and thousands of years ago, but it was easily the most amazing experience that I've ever had. And top it all off, we're at a rock concert in the desert. Remember? <laughs> yeah, like We went over there with three, I think, three different musicians, yeah. three different groups. Blue um, Rodeo. Blue Rodeo. Yeah. Blue Rodeo. Juno award-winning Blue Rodeo went there with us. Great bunch of guys. But we're sitting backstage watching all these men and service women enjoy this. I mean, it was surreal. There are military helicopters hovering in the back over the boardwalk it's black as it's 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 pitch black night out and there's these copters hovering in the back there's a rock band playing in front of us we're at a rock concert in the (laughs) desert it was one of the most surreal experiences of my life there was
0: a tim hortons there there was a burger king there was a pizza it was like are we really in a war zone but you know when I think of that, we flew in that uh the British uh pilots flew us in a Griffin helicopter. The doors that's were right. wide open
2: that's right, and
0: um it's funny, Stu was behind me with the gunner on that side. I was with General Hillier on this side, and I looked back and on the Stu's sitting next to the gunner, and on the back of his helmet it said, "Go ahead." make my day and he's sitting on this (laughs) make my day
2: make my day i
0: don't think i want to do that part of it today you know wait till we get (laughs) out anyway you know but i'm telling you like stu said we're we're above the Hellman river which um the agendat valley cuts through this mountain pass and we were flying up through this valley tim it it was unbelievable above the river and it was like honestly looking down at the river it looked kind of it was like paradise, but it was and stupid yeah. and perfect. It's like biblical there. Mm-hmm. It, you wonder yeah. these people they are like, are we really ahead in life here? But boy, when you think yeah. of far, way behind, it just yeah. it's incredible. And everybody I speak to has been there. It, and you just said it. It, it was a life changing yeah. experience. It really did something to me. It it, it, it was awesome. You know.
1: Why? Well, when I you hear know, it, I'm like, we, when we I have... hear it, I think about like sacrifice. I'm like, oh yeah, I'll pick up my daughter instead of golf today. I'll sacrifice. That's my sacrifice. <laughs> right. Then you hear this, stuff, exactly you know, and right. it's like, man, we got oh, it good. I we know. got it good for sure. You
2: know, one of my other favorite memories with all of all that, I think you were there at the time too, Nux. You know, we had this conversation earlier about, you know, it's strange when you meet people who do a certain thing, you don't expect them to have this personality that they do. We met. Uh, a group of sharpshooters, uh, and and one of these kids uh, held the current um, Afghanistan record for longest kill shot, confirmed kill shot. Yeah. This guy had taken out a bad guy from like a mile and a half away, and he's showing us the weapon, and he's showing us the round that he did it with. I kid yeah. you not, the 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 ammunition, like the the bullet was almost as long as my hand is from top to bottom. It was almost that long. And you didn't just shoot somebody with something like that. Like, that thing will remove your body parts yeah. even from that far away. But he was like a mile and a half. He has the longest confirmed kill shot in Afghanistan. But it's this, I mean, he's this skinny little kid, yeah. happy-go-lucky, easy-going. I mean, as easy to talk to as, as the three of us are together. And, I mean, this This guy is like he's on the very tip of the spear where, you know, the Canadian uh, and American armed forces are concerned. This is, this is what the tip of the spear looks like. I'll
0: never forget that. We put the ghillie suit on. They had that, you know, the suit they wear, Tim, they to camouflage themselves and they had all the sniper. It was really incredible experience to meet those guys. We had the opportunity to visit the hospital there too with some injured people. It it was, it was something. And, you know, when you say these people really, Um, they sacrifice, they sacrifice. So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Awesome. trip. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. we get back from Afghanistan, you go your way. I go mine. You retired from hockey. Um, and you went back and you you went back to school. You got your law degree, decided to practice law. Um, impressive. And I say that because, uh, and I'm one of the guys and a lot of athletes struggle with retirement. I got lost. No question. Um, and yep. and when I see someone who does well, I don't feel less than. I don't feel jealous of. Or not. I'm quite actually happy for that person. Yep. When I saw what you did going back to law school, it was impressive. I, I was just saying that's awesome. You know. Um, and how difficult for you was it after playing hockey all those years? That transition piece, and and how did you do yeah. just? you like you jumped right into school right away. You didn't waste any time, right?
2: Yeah, I did. I did. I, I, I always knew that, you know, for a guy like me, like I wanted to go back into the sport. I wanted to do something in the sport meaningful. And, and honestly, like my whole motivation behind going back to school and ultimately earning a law degree was so that I players union. Eventually I did that. That kind of went sideways later on, but um, it was always to kind of, you know, in, increase like the marketable the professional skills that I had that was that was my whole motivation for doing it but you know I the point I really want to make Nux, if you don't mind me just kind of taking a little license a little license here because I think you were trying to draw a contrast between you know you struggled you in your words you got lost and and you're making a comparison to me I want to make the point We all struggle. We all get lost. You know, outwardly, it might look like, hey, Stu Grimson left the NHL. He got his degree. He went on. He did great things. That's maybe half true. I struggle too. Whether you're a firefighter, a hockey player, an electrician, uh, a sheet metal worker, if you've done something, and for us, Knox, like me, you've been playing since you were five years, six years of age, you know, we've been doing this our whole life. When you're asked, when you're forced to go from this was what you did, now you can't do that anymore. Now you've got to go off and you've got to create something with we're looking at more than half of our lives are remaining that we're going to walk around on this planet. we got to do something. But I struggle, too, is the point that I want to make. It took me a while. I had some direction. I knew I wanted to go back to school. But, you know, it, it took me a while to kind of figure out what, you know, what the next step heart was going to look like um so i i say that because i want everybody to understand it, whether you're an athlete or, or somebody else there's gonna come a transition time it's gonna be hard but you're, you'll figure it out mm-hmm. you know stay true to yourself you'll figure it out yeah
0: That's and, good. and it's fun- that's yeah,
1: good. and it's funny. I, I, I lose. I, it's been four years, and I'm still mm-hmm. like. There's days where I wake up and I'm like, I don't know what my purpose is. Right? Like, I lose sense mm-hmm. of purpose. Yeah, hundred
2: percent, Tim. Hundred percent, hundred percent. We all go through that, and and I think for any ex-player that that or or even a player later in their career that's that's looking at the three of us having a conversation, I think it's important they take that away from it. Everybody, in their own way, you're going to have. You know, kind of that. It's it's hard to figure out what the next part looks like, but you know, be diligent. It'll you'll figure it out. You'll figure so it out for you
0: in ending your career. And I guess I, I I asked that with this thought in mind because back when the film The Last Gladiator was being made, and you were interviewed for that, and Alex Gibney was doing it, the NHL uh, gave the producers a hard time because you know, it was talking about fighting and, and, and I was in this film and Daly and Bettman weren't happy. They said, what, why don't you do it on somebody other than Chris Nyland? Why don't you do it on someone like Stu Grimson? This is coming from the Mm -hmm. NHL and Alex Gibney and the producers, Barry uh, said, well, if that's the case, if you want us to do it on Stu, then we're going to have to, Open up that whole concussion issue. Well, well, they were all like, uh, "Well, maybe yeah just go with the drug addict alcoholic then." And and you know, it, it kind of pissed me off. And they made it really difficult for the the guys doing that film, um you know, because they don't want to expose any of the, what happened. They don't even want right. to believe that happened back in the day. What we did, but regardless, um, uh, like, so when you retired from hockey what in, in the word is yeah you had concussions you had a fight with uh, was it Larac? i think and at the end you had a... it was it was
2: george yeah it was now, george. how many yeah.
0: how many concussions did you get if you don't mind asking and uh, me asking and then and how difficult was that on you when you had to step away from the game because of that
2: yeah it was hard um you know it's really, you know, knowing that, that that how the science, the medicines have evolved to this point, we know a lot more about what is a concussion, how to diagnose it. And we're, I think everybody's better off kind of how you treat it. Um, I think there's a lot more awareness around that looking at it through that lens, looking back over my life. I mean, I can go back to my fourth and fifth year of age, you know, just a young kid where, you know, I had some, I had blackout episodes from head trauma. So to, to give you a, A hard, fast number would be really difficult, but it's dozens. I'm sure I had dozens of, um, you know, of what now is classified as a concussion. Uh, But here's the, you know, here's the kicker about it. Um, I fought George at a much earlier time in my career than the time that actually led to my retirement. And, I mean, I, I took blows like that. You took blows like that, you know, for a good part of your career. But the accumulation... And when you start to take, when you continue to take those blows, well into your thirties, you don't shake them off like you did when you were in your early twenties. So the 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 head trauma, the blow that actually led to my retirement when I fought George in my second to last game, um, when he was a an oiler and I was a predator. Um, you know, it it was a pretty stiff shot, but it it was kind of another another. It's the cherry kind of situation on the where yeah, the cherry on the it was yeah. it was it was like a, a straw that broke yeah. the camel's back yeah. yeah that's the best way to describe it and I, and I was having symptoms like when I was in my early 20s I never had a concussion carry over into day two day three yeah. day four but when I was in my mid-30s it was like I got three days removed from a fight you know I had earlier in the week and it's like man I what my body feels really heavy and I get I stand up and it was just like I felt like I was 300 pounds I was like something 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 shifted here something's going on and you know the tough guy nature it took me a while it probably took me four good head blows uh, in that year that I retired before I actually came forward and said hey I think something really shitty is going on here um and my trainer pulled me out of the mix, and you know, frankly, my body just never gave me permission to get back to playing. So that's the kind of way it kind of evolved for me. Um, but you know, I, sitting here today, I, I I leave the game pretty intact. I feel pretty normal. I, I dealt with the post-concussion syndrome for probably a good year, year and a half, but I feel pretty normal today. Um, did you
1: have any regret well, at that point? Where did you regret? Like, were you like ever like, man, I w- like I wish I didn't do that role? Were you ever like? my kids are never going to be able to, I would never have my kids take that role on or what was it? Yeah. Like, you know, under-
2: yeah, I did. Tim, I had, yeah, I had, I had that feeling. I don't think I'd ever want my son to really, here's the thing. I wouldn't want him to go through it in that way. I mean, if, um, if my son decided he wanted to be, you know, a pro hockey player, mm-hmm. if he decided he wanted, you know, fighting as part of his toolbox, that's part of his skill set. I would have never begrudged him that. The only, the only, I think, desire I would have for my young son, following that my path, was, and and this is what I look back at my career, and I really wish I had done. When you get clipped, and when something shifts inside you, and we all know when that is, Nux. Yeah. I just wish I'd been more forthcoming with the trainers. You know, really hard to I, do. I can't That's hard encourage. To do. It's really, yeah. there's so much. You've got all your internal crap going know. on. Plus you're kind of going, these guys, these guys will lose respect yeah. for me. I'll lose my roster spot. You know, I, I, I can't have everybody around the league knowing that I pulled myself out of the mix. The, I, I encourage young players today, you've got to self-report. Nobody knows like you know what's going on inside here. You've got to self-report. I, it, but it's the very thing I couldn't do, I wish I had done that's the point that i really want to make around your question jim i, I, I don't regret anything about my career i wish i had self reported mm-hmm. more i didn't and i think you know my 60s and my 70s i think will kind of reveal whether i have any long lasting effects but as i sit here today a 57 year old man nux is com- like no nux is completely intact mm-hmm. he's he's engaged he's articulate He's, you know, he, he's an enthusiastic, positive thinking guy. That encourages me about my 60s, but, um, you know, you never know until you kind of get into that period of your life. That's my one concern. Well, yeah, I, was, I feel good today, but but you never I know. I was going to ask
0: you about that. Like, now, here's the deal. We've seen it. Now, Boston University has an incredible program, the Chr- Chronic Traumatic Encephalopathy it's, it's Center. A bear. <laughs> it's a CTE Center. There we go, <laughs> Knuckles. I got it
2: out. Um, I wouldn't try that. I wouldn't try that (laughs) uh, (laughs) one.
0: Well, um, you know, they do a lot of research on uh, retired football players. People donate their brains. We saw a good friend Bob Probit donated his brain. There was um, certainly CTE there. Um, Now, that being said, um, do you worry about that? And, And I'll be honest with you. I don't worry about it. I've thought about it. And I'm at the point right now. I look. My mom, God bless her, um, suffers from um, dementia, and she's the last fifteen years. It's been just horrendous. She's still alive. She's eighty-seven, but not good. And I'm looking at, and I'm actually going to Boston University next month to go through um, their program. It's a two-day beginning of the program is two days. You MRI, and they they give you a base level of where you are right now they Mm -hmm, now they can't mm -hmm. say if you have cte or not but there are warning signs and signals uh you do different neurological tests stuff like that and then Mm -hmm. they check in once a year and you kind of get tested again and you can kind (laughs) of see it see where you're at and i'm I'm gonna do it and I'm, i'm pretty close to saying i'm gonna donate my brain too because shit, what am i gonna take it with me um I don't think so. Yeah, so Yeah. I, I'm thinking of doing that, but I'm definitely I'm going next month to start that program off. Have you ever like looked into that or thought about doing that, or do you does it worry you at all?
2: Yeah, I, I, I have. I'm I'm in I'm actually in a program right now, similar to the one you're talking about. Um, it's a it's a health facility in toronto i asked i was asked this question again recently i can't remember i want to say ryerson but i don't think it's ryerson in toronto i might be wrong about that and it's the very thing you're talking about i had this initial consult with them they ran a bunch of tests there's cognitive tests there's you know there's um like functional working mris you're making um you're responding to different cues while you're in an mri machine um you know, of course, there's blood drawn and all that kind of thing. It's yeah. ra- it's really comprehensive. And and then I've been back for a couple episodes of follow up since then. They so give me kind of feedback on how things are going. And just, you know, the short generalization, I'm aging pretty well, um, for, you know, for what it's worth. But um, I think it's important. It's important, we, we get a personal benefit, we, you and I and guys like us get a chance to kind of gauge how we're doing and then i think too you know and this is obvious but we're part of a broader study which helps this the the you know the 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 world of science the world of medicine to better understand the ill effects of head trauma when you know sustained over a longer period of time that's important for all the people that come after us as well so um i i have made the the, the the designation to donate my brain as well. I think it's I'm with you. I'm I'm not gonna be using it uh beyond my you know beyond my nineties potentially one hundreds. Uh, <laughs> so somebody uh somebody somebody else might might as well benefit I'm with from, you, right? from whatever that will tell I'm them. I'm
0: with you right there. Yeah. I'm I've this goal that I want to make it to hundred. So hopefully that happens. <laughs> um it's funny. Back in October sixth 2011, I just moved back to Montreal that August. And I just got it getting back on my feet. Uh, I just uh, rented a home in Dorval, just outside the airport. No furniture. I had a TV. I was sitting on the floor eating Chinese food with Jamie. And <laughs> Hockey Night in Canada's on. And I get up. And I run into the kitchen to grab something. And all of a sudden, they hear her say, who is this asshole? <laughs> and I'm there. What? What? And I come back. And I he said, you got to hear what this guy said. Well, she doesn't know Don Cherry from Adam. And, and Grapes was on between periods and come out and had called <sighs> myself, uh, Stu, and Jim Thompson. Called us pukes and hypocrites because apparently we made remarks about how fighting should be out of hockey and they should take it out, uh, which I never said those words. But anyway, someone was whispering in his earpiece and, and gave him our names. Anyway, he come out and said it. And I was like, that is just damn wrong. That's embarrassing because I, I never come out and said anything like that. Anyway. I knew a good lawyer, so anyway, the good lawyer called me and it was Stu. (laughs) And we got talking, he said, no, this is just wrong, blah, blah, blah. And and maybe pick it up there from Stu Stu and tell us just kind of the process, what you were thinking. And and you certainly asked me to come aboard and I was like, sure thing, but
2: talk to us. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I like you, I was, I was sitting at home. I didn't have hockey night in Canada cause I was in the U S at the time. Yep. I was living in Nashville, but my phone started to blow up around that same time that you were, you, you and Jamie were kind of going through this or, or hearing this. And I was like, what, like <laughs> where, the, where the hell did this come from? Like I'm sitting at home in my pajamas and all of a sudden I'm getting torpedoed by Don Sherry <laughs> on the other side of the border. It was like made no sense at all. But here's the thing. Like, I mean, nux and i you know in our first conversation we both you know we got to the point pretty quick like i've never said anything like that you've never said anything like that i think jimmy thompson was different. um they kind of they lumped us in together a little bit which is neither bad nor good um but the part that i you know he was wrong on that but like the part that i really was bothered by you you left one out pukes hypocrites and yeah, that's coats. it. Like,
0: <laughs> I did.
2: Like he's 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 going live on national television with this bullshit and he couldn't be more wrong. Just I I don't know if you and I ever discussed it, but the little voice in his ear, I, I, from what I have heard, that was George Larocque. George had had a conversation with Don. Apparently they were pretty good buddies yeah. and George mentioned to Don, "Hey, I don't know if you know yeah. this or not, great, right, yeah. but you know, Nux and Stewart kind of going around saying fighting should be bad. They made their whole careers this way. That's really shitty by them. Nux and I never said anything like that. So one, he was wrong. And two, the way he said it really pissed me yeah. and you off because like puke's hypocrite turncoat, that's some that's some that's some bullshit. Yeah. That's some that's some absolute <laughs> bullshit. So all that to say, that was kind of the flashpoint for the three of us, me, you and Jimmy getting together. I was litigating at the time. I was working for a law firm here in town. And I said to one of my, uh, to one of the partners at the firm, I said, here's, here's what happened. What I'd really like to start, what I'd really like to do is kind of start this little media campaign against Don Cherry and CBC for him making the comments he just made. Are you okay with that? So it was kind of like everything I did and said came from a law firm, you know, I was the name, uh, and the guys were, you know, obviously included with me, Jimmy and and Nux were with me, but, you know, it kind of came from my firm, and I remember it was like, you know, Don said what he said, then the three of us kind of got together, and I issued a statement on our behalf, and we'd launch that back, and I'd end up doing like a TV spot uh, from a remote location in Nashville, CBC would beam me into their broadcast, and it was kind of like, it was like this these these bombs were going back and forth between us and Cherry. And here's the funny part about it, Tim, like grapes doesn't apologize for <laughs> anything. Shit. Not for anything. He doesn't apologize for shit. <laughs> but we made noise about this. We rattled the legal saber to the point where CBC's going like, "Man, we might get sued for this, and if we do, we'll probably we'll probably lose because Dawn's dead wrong. Um, so all that to say, probably what, Nux took two weeks before it all yeah. played out. But grapes, like this issue, I, I can't believe the the momentum and the traction it had. Certainly back home, not so much down here. But I can't believe the momentum it had. It The political pressure got to a point where grapes showed up on television and full-throated for three solid minutes He walked every piece of it back. He talked about Jimmy, he talked about Stu, he talked about his old buddy, Chris Nyland, and he walked it back as to all three of us. Like, it was loud and full-throated. And just to put a bow on it all, Nux and I had dinner uh, maybe a month later in Montreal as we kind of put it all to bed. And it was just like, you know, we got a good result. We're pleased with the fact that this guy apologized for the bullshit he said.
1: And you guys both got him canceled and got him removed. (laughs) He got himself canceled. I'm kidding. No, what's your your take on today's game, Stu, and and the reduction of fighting? And you wish, um, you think you could have played in today's game?
2: Oh, I don't think so. Boy, these kids are fast. They're fast and they're really skilled. They're really skilled. Um, You know, if, if Stu Grimson could play in today's game, he'd look a little bit like Pat Maroon, I think, you know, yeah. uh, maybe not top end speed, but uh, a really good guy in the wall. He's, he's strong in his own end. He's capable of a little offense here and there and, and, and a formidable opponent when he drops the gloves. I, I don't know if I had the skill set that a Pat Maroon did. If I could make it, I'd look like Pat Maroon. I honestly, like, I, 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 I don't know. It's a really hard question mm-hmm. to ask. But let me answer the first part. Of your answer rather. Let me answer the 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 first part of your question. In spite of all that, I really like where the game is at today. I really do. It's exciting. It's fast. The skills that these young men demonstrate night to night. Um, do I wish it was a little more physical? Yeah. Um, Fighting still in it. There's still that. You know that it's in the ether it's in the air it could happen so there's kind of still this measure of accountability you got to be careful if you you start running the small people the skill people on the other side um all in all you know i don't think the game is perfect but i think it's in a better spot than when i played because just just by virtue of the things these guys oh, do the crazy. way they skate the way they handle the, the puck, michigan the, i mean the, all the, the fancy
0: the stuff shot, it, it's
2: it is. unbelievable. It's, it is. It's unbelievable. It is. And, it's a lot of fun to watch. It,
0: and, you know, when you, when you think of today's game and, and talking about the fighting piece, I saw last night, Winnipeg, Minnesota, Dean Everson coaching Minnesota. And here's a guy I played against back Hoffman, scrappy little center iceman, Not yeah. tough, but, you know, scrappy. And it's always those guys. You know, the game's done, 3-1, 30 seconds left. They put Reeves on the ice. And I could see it in Reeves' face. He's always a willing participant. But I could tell he wasn't happy about pe- being put out there 30 seconds. And he went and All did right. what he did anyway. He got in a fight. And I just, for me, I lose respect for a coach like that who did that. And we talked about this earlier. But that being said, what do you think of that today? They're talking about taking fighting out of the Quebec League they have. They're talking about junior hockey. NHL, yeah. do you think it ever happened?
2: Well, you know, it's, it's hard to answer that definitively, Nux. And I think for this reason, I've always felt like, and, and this comes from my experience, you know, working on the competition committee uh, with the players union, uh, where the NHL was concerned, like around stuff like rules and, and rule changes. The, the league looks at these other, the junior leagues, the minor leagues, like they're le- laboratories, right? Like they're, they're test grounds for these different rule changes. So I think the league will be watching to see how things play out in the queue and maybe some other leagues adopt this before they ever go that direction. But I kind of get the sense that the league is kind of, there may, There may be a, a movement in this direction to ban fighting outright because it came up at the last general managers meetings. I don't know if you saw it or not, but one of the issues on the agenda for the managers was um, this whole notion about fights that occur after like a big clean hits on jets. the ice, yeah. right? Clean body check. Somebody gets hit. Somebody on that player's team goes out. They think they got to, you know, avenge this guy stick up for this guy to the extent that they may be thinking about, you know, I I think here's here's the way I want to say it. I think it gives us a sense that there may be a stronger movement to move away from fighting than there has been in the past that's just me kind of talking off the top of my head. It'll be interesting to see, but you know, we'll, we'll see where that yeah, shakes out.
0: For sure. Um, listen, you've been generous with the time. I just got a couple more on one. Um, I, I know the new director of the players association pretty well, Marty Walsh, uh, you know, uh, he was, um, in the Biden administration. He's a mayor of Boston for years. He's right. a, um, he's a really good guy. What do you think about that jump? Here's a guy. Yeah, he was a Bruins fan growing up, doesn't really know the game so much, but he was a great labor lawyer for uh, the IBEW in the Electrical uh, Mm -hmm. Workers uh, Union in Boston. He he negotiated awesome deals for them. My son's in that union. Uh, They got great Mm -hmm. benefits, everything, the packages. Do you think certainly that experience – It'll help him, but taking that experience and and, and jumping over into the hockey world, um, I, listen, I get it, it's law, it's negotiation, all that stuff, but you think it's going to be a, kind of a smooth transition for him to be able to all of a sudden be negotiating on behalf of not those blue-collar workers, but these young millionaire hockey players?
2: Yeah. Yeah, I think... You know, it's a really good question. I think he's got like, – I, I think his background leaves him in a really good position to do a great job because I, I, I like you. Like, I mean, I think you have a better sense of it than I do. But the, the little I've been able to learn about Marty, I recognize, like, this is a guy that's really had a formidable professional career. He's – you know, you, you you don't get to be part of, you know um, – an American cabinet, like a, a, a one administration's cabinet, a cabinet member, because you know somebody owes yeah, you a You put a, favor. a bumper sticker on your car.
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: exactly, exactly. Like this guy, this he, he he's well qualified. I guess is the point that I'm trying to make. Um, my concern for him is is that you know he doesn't have that. That that hockey background necessarily. Um, I don't know that there's really um, you know there aren't a lot of ex players that work uh, for the players' union on a full-time basis that can help him supplement that. I mean I know Matt yeah. Schneider's there. I, I don't know what the the relationship is between the two of them. Perhaps that's a a strong one going forward. I think he'll lean heavily on somebody like Matt Schneider going forward. Um, but it, it it'll be it'll be interesting in time to see to see how he does without question. I think the hardest thing and maybe this is the, you know, the real eye opener for him. And I already I've, I've seen some of his interviews. I I've, I've, I've heard some of his comments and I know he's well aware of this. The part that we always struggled at the union level um Knox, and I know you're aware of this, but it's like this apathy, right? Like twenty percent 25 percent maybe 30 percent of the membership yeah. is engaged in the actual business of the union it, it, I think that's very different you know again they're like million dollar hockey players that's different from you know a, a collective of of plumbers who who you know your fortunes kind of rise and fall with the the deal that the union makes for you I think people like that tend to be more engaged. I think that'll be a bit of a, a challenge and maybe even a shocker for some. So you worked for them
0: before. I don't know. I know you're out of it. And that speech you had that night certainly opened my eyes to some of it, but would you ever have interest in working for them again?
2: Uh, I don't know. It's uh, probably not, probably not. I mean, I left there under, you know, I, I, I was hired under the Ted yeah. Saskin administration Ted hired me. Um, you know, I left, it was kind of baby out with the bath water and, you know, there was, there was some kind of hard yeah. feelings there just to put it in a real, you know, succinct way. So I, I you know, I, would be considered somebody with baggage. I let don't me think put it would it, ever work Well,
0: out. let me put it this way. For, forget about it. If you were, just say you were the director right now and you brought it up, you got 25% of those guys engaged. The rest, not so much. And I remember I was one of the 75% who was like, okay, those guys are taking care of it. No problem. You know, I, I wish I was more engaged. I did more so at the end.
2: But what would you do to engage those guys? Yeah. You know, I, I, that's a really good question. And I think my own personal story, being able to tell it as an ex player, as I go from team to team to team to team meeting with these guys, I I think that would be the thing that I leaned on most in trying to get players more engaged and just in a real brief way. And I know, you know, guys like this, but you know, the player's path is you struggle for a good long while just to get into the league. Then you struggle to be, to establish yourself as a certain kind of player. And, And the point in that is, if you have a 10-year career, the first five years of your career, your head is down. You're focused yeah. on nothing but the game. You got no time for the for the business of the players' union, right? You got no time for that at all. And then even if somebody does get engaged in that, it's usually in the back half of their career. I would try and tell that story because, you know, the union is a vital the, – the collective bargaining and the and the union being involved in that – and and having the the buy-in, the consensus of all players, it's critical to the union representing you fairly and and uh, in you know in earnest. So I, I'd be encouraging players with my personal story to hopefully get them involved. Because here's the thing: from Alan Eagleson to Bob Goodenow to Ted Saskin to now Marty Walsh, nobody's got a former player's background. I think it's harder to make that point to get maybe meaningful buy-in. I, I think that would be helpful to somebody in the executive director role. Cool, that I sense. Uh,
0: That's cool. Awesome. Um, I think we got one more. Yeah, from I'm going to ask one my, question. My boy. We love this one. So
1: does does uh, <laughs> uh, you had to choose out of the one out of the two? Would Stu Grimson prefer like that big fight or or to score a goal?
2: Oh, hundred percent. The big goal. I mean, I mean, that's that's what we all live for. Like, there's no feeling like it without question. And listen, I like locking horns. Uh, Didn't like locking horns. I like winning anytime I locked horns with somebody like Nux or or any of the other you know badasses I played against. But scoring a goal, I mean, there's nothing uh, that gets your juices going like something like that. The, the greatest goal of my NHL career, I scored in the context of the conference final. And for a Hammenager <laughs> like me, who it, when the playoffs got that deep, I'm getting three minutes, four minutes, five minutes of ice time a night. I scored a game-time uh, goal against the Blackhawks in game five. It was like... My head was, my head exploded. It was, it was the most awesome experience right? of my life. That's awesome. Because that
0: we awesome. do, we ask that question a lot of guys and, who said fight? It. Someone did say it. fight, Tim. Though, I've maybe a, Arbor,
1: what? Arbor Jack. I might have said that. Yeah,
0: maybe Arbor. Uh, well, there's
2: some, there's some weirdos out there that you don't grow that. up like you know <laughs> seven well, years
1: old. Like, hey, I'm gonna be
2: <laughs> Rob Ray. <laughs> Go ahead, Rob Ray. Brian McGratton. I was just with Big Earn up in a deal we did in Winnipeg, uh, an alumni event we did in Winnipeg. Big Earn loved it. Yeah. McGratton loved it. I mean, he was a badass. He was a great fighter. He's good at what he did. But he really yeah. liked it. He's a sick, <laughs> yeah, yeah. sick man.
0: Listen, uh, uh, Stu awesome. Grimson, I got to tell you, um, awesome that you took the time for us. I appreciate it. You're a good man. Here's one of the guys that, honestly, I have a ton of respect for you. I, I, I think you're an awesome I love hockey guys to begin with, but tough guys even more so. But you stand out in the crowd to me. And uh, I I really appreciate you joining us. It means a lot.
2: Next, I've enjoyed um, you know, the, the journey, me and you kind of getting to know each other over the years. I've enjoyed that so much. I've always had the utmost respect for you, my friend. Uh, I'll drop everything and and join you, whatever you're doing, whatever it is, you just say the word, but um, you're a heart and soul guy, my friend, you wear your heart on your sleeve. And I've always, I've always loved and admired that about you. Tim, I've enjoyed getting to meet you for the first time, my friend. I look forward to seeing you again. Appreciate it. Still.
1: Hey, everyone, thanks for listening to the Raw Knuckles Podcast. Don't forget to like, follow, and subscribe.